Just as, as Jesus had more to say about money than almost any other subject, as we've seen, so Proverbs is filled with practical advice and wisdom for, for good stewardship, for how we approach wealth and money, for what we might call wisdom on wealth. And many people think that the solution to most of the problems or the ills of our society is we just need more wealth. But in reality, what we really need is more wisdom. <laughs> because you don't have to look very far to see that more money in the hands of foolish people only leads to greater problems, not solutions. But oftentimes, even scant resources handled with wisdom can lead to great benefits and blessings for more people. So let's, as we look at God's wisdom for wealth as is found in the Proverbs... In one of the passages we read, we read from chapter 8, wisdom is personified as calling out and saying, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness are mine. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasuries. In other words, there's this direct link between God's wisdom and, and wealth. And what I want to do this morning is look at, at wisdom's perspective on wealth, wisdom's principles for how we use wealth, look at wisdom's paradox of wealth, and then lastly look at the price and the promise of wealth. So let's look first at wisdom's perspective on wealth. Wisdom in Proverbs has a great deal to say, again, about rich and poor, the wealth, wealthy and the impoverished. And in general, as you read Proverbs, you'll notice that there are two kinds of rich people and two kinds of poor people. There are what we might call the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. The righteous rich are those who, who get and use money in the way that it was intended, in the way that God designed, and, and, and in wise ways according to his wisdom. The unrighteous rich are those who, who gain and use wealth or, or riches in wrong or unrighteous ways. And we'll talk more about those different ways in a moment. Likewise, the righteous poor are those who, who may not have much, but it's not due to any, any personal sin or mismanagement or lack of hard work on their part. It could be a, a factor of the situation they were, were born into, uh, unforeseen circumstances that have happened, like an illness. It could be from the, the, the oppression or the injustice of others around them. Uh, but generally, some external factor outside of their control has led to that situation. And then there are the unrighteous poor who lack resources because of, of laziness or overspending or accumulating debt or trying to get rich quick through some shortcut uh, or scheme. And it's important to understand because so often when it comes to wealth and to poverty, we tend to make broad assumptions, don't we? Some think that those who are wealthy all got that way by hard work and diligence and living rightly. And those who are poor are all that way because of their, their own bad choices or refusal to work or take responsibility. We might call that the typical kind of conservative capitalist approach to wealth and poverty. Others think that all who are wealthy got there through, through greed or privilege or on the backs of the poor. And those who are poor are just simply victims of oppression or injustice. We might Call that the typical progressive or, or socialist approach to wealth. 
and money. However, as I said earlier, the biblical perspective on wealth, it doesn't fit into into nice, neat categories or systems. It acknowledges the reality of both and and the varied effects of life in a fallen world. Wealth can be the product of hard work and wise living, or it can be the result of greed and wickedness. Likewise, poverty can come upon a person because of their, their own wrong actions or attitudes, or it can be the situation of good, godly people at no fault of their own. God is much more concerned, much more concerned with how we approach the heart issues related to wealth and possessions than he is about simply dealing with the bottom line of who are the haves and the have-nots or who has more and who has less. Proverbs has an incredibly positive view of making and managing money and wealth wisely. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. But it also has an incredibly negative view and warns against those who put possessions above people and and riches above righteousness. Proverbs 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 22, 1 and 2 says, A good name is to be given, chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So wisdom's, wisdom's perspective on wealth is that relationship matters more than riches. People are more important than possessions. Character is better than cash. Faithfulness is more significant than finances. God has created all of us, every single person in his image. He is not a respecter of persons, and he is more concerned about who we are than what we have. And if we don't begin with, if we don't share wisdom's perspective on wealth, that God is the creator and the owner of everything and we are called and commanded to be stewards of his, his creation and the resources with which he entrusts us, then we will run the danger of money and wealth becoming an idol. It will become that in which we find our security, that in which we put our significance and by which we measure our own and the other, people, other people's value and worth. If we set our minds and our hearts to pursue wisdom rather than wealth, then we likely will find both. Proverbs says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. A faithful man will abound in blessings. Now, this is not just a, this is not a, 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 a rock-hard, iron-clad um, commandment. We have to be careful of, of straying off into things like the prosperity gospel that says if we're just good enough or if we are just faithful enough, then God will reward us and bless us with abundant health and wealth. That's a false gospel. Nor do we go off into what might be called the austerity gospel that says if you know, money is bad and wealth is bad and therefore we just need to uh, divest ourselves of everything, neither of those reflects the full perspective of wisdom on wealth. But wisdom's perspective on wealth is that we put wealth in proper perspective. It's not the main thing. God is the main thing. And only then can we be the wise stewards that he's called us to be.
And so that's wisdom's perspective on wealth. But we not only need that perspective, we also need to have wisdom's principles for how we relate to and, and use wealth. And God calls us to handle what he entrusts to us wisely. And Proverbs gives us some wise principles for that. And so I want to I highlight, we're not going to be able to cover all the principles that are found in Proverbs or in the Bible. But I want to highlight uh, a, a few of those for, wise, for the wise use of wealth. First, earn money honestly. Make an income. Over and over, Proverbs touts the wisdom and blessing of working hard, of working smart, of being diligent, getting ahead, as well as the curse of, of being a sluggard or, or depending, dependence on others or going into debt. Proverbs extols the benefit and the blessing of making money and points to the fact that generally, through hard work, honest work, we, uh, we will have what we need. God will provide what we need. And we're in danger as a society of losing that value of hard work. Granted, there may be times or seasons or reasons where we can't make money or we, can't, uh, we need the help of others. But Proverbs warns against the, the sluggard who comes up with excuses constantly for not working. Sometimes very great excuses. Like, there's a lion in the street. If I go outside, I'll be eaten up. Anybody ever use that to not go to work? Probably not, but we have come up with some probably pretty good excuses ourselves. As we saw last week, God created us to work, and if we are able, we are to use our skills, our creativity, our gifts, and we are to use them well for the benefit and the blessing of others. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Modern translation Secure a source of income and provision before you go out and start spending. Proverbs is clear that hard, honest work and good decision making generally lead to prosperity. And we can be thankful for, for modern safety nets that help in times of unemployment. But again, that's not an excuse for us to not work if we're able and earn an income. And I say earn money honestly because Proverbs is also clear that the Lord hates and hear that, that's what it says. The Lord hates those who get rich by dishonest or unjust means. Be it dishonest scales, deceitful practices, taking advantage of the poor or those in vulnerable situations. The wealthy can often use money to exercise power over the poor. And Proverbs says these things are an abomination to the Lord. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death, Proverbs 21.6 says. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them, Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. If you earn your income or have gotten your wealth by taking advantage of the poor, by cheating customers, by deceitful tactics. Know, know that God takes that personally and very seriously. We see Zacchaeus being confronted with that reality when he meets Jesus. And what does he do? He repents <laughs> and he makes it right. So have an income, earn money, but do it honestly. Do it with integrity. Do it according to the way that God has given 
Second principle, have a plan and know what you have. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. Proverbs 27.3, Know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. Two of the greatest threats that we have to, 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 ha to a wise approach to money are an impulse, impulsive spending and not knowing what we have. Impulsive spending and not knowing what we have. Who would you say is the greater threat to causing financial struggles in a marriage? The husband or the wife? Ooh, that's a loaded question right there, isn't it? <laughs> I have a friend whose wife lost her credit card and he didn't cancel the account because he figured the thief would probably spend less than his wife did. But actually, men, men are more likely to cause financial struggles because we are bigger impulsive buyers. They may, we may not go shopping as much, but we are more likely to come home with that big ticket item, like a new car or a new boat or something of that sort. Having a plan, being on a budget, knowing what you have helps prevent that kind of hasty spending, that kind of impulse buying. Particularly in our day of credit cards and easy financing, Proverbs warns against going into debt which it equates with becoming a slave to the lender. And that is wise counsel for us as we make plans. Wisdom on money means knowing what you have and having a, a plan both in the short term and for the long term. Which means if possible, it's also wise to save and invest for the future. Here Proverbs goes to, points us to the very small but powerful example to follow. The ant, which we didn't read about but in, in Proverbs 6, 6 and 8 it talks about the ant's uh, way as being wise without anyone overruling her she she goes and prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food and for harvest so wise stewards don't don't spend everything they have they put some away for emergencies for future use and perhaps there's no better example of this in the scriptures than than uh, the experience of Joseph who you remember was enslaved in Potiphar's house and what did he do uh, he he had um, the Lord instructed them to put away grain every year for seven years of famine that would be coming. So, where possible, you can save and have a plan for the future. But principle three reminds us our net worth in wealth does not reflect our personal worth or value as a person. Our net worth in wealth does not reflect our personal value as a person. The rich and the poor meet together, Proverbs says. The Lord is the maker of them all. We saw this last week. Just, just as our identity can be tied up in what we do, it's very easy for identi our identity to be tied up in what we have, the possessions we have. Working hard, making a good income, planning, investing, saving can all lead to a sense of pride that sees our value in, in how much we have or how much we don't have. God says, if you have lots of money or wealth, do not despise and look down on those who don't with a sense of pride or superiority. If you are poor and you don't have a lot, do not, do not look up or, or look upon those who are wealthy and envy with envy and derision because of what they have. God created both, rich and poor. God is the redeemer of both rich and poor. And so the truth is, is oftentimes appearances can be deceiving. Proverbs 13, 7 says, one pretends to be rich yet has nothing 
and another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. It's not unusual to find that, that those who make big salaries, who have lots of, of stuff, also find themselves with great financial struggles. And it's also not unusual to hear of a humble farmer or a working widow who in reality has a large portfolio of wealth. Just as you don't judge a book by its cover, we don't judge a person by their possessions. And, and one of the dangers in living in such a prosperous area like we do, and we live in one of the most prosperous areas in the country, one of the dangers is that, is that we can think we have to keep up with those around us. We can think that we have to, we have to compete with our neighbors they just got a new car, so we think we need to get a new car. They're sending their children to private school, so we think we need to send our kids to private school. We begin to find our value, begin to find our worth, our identity in, in comparison to others around us, and we feel the need to keep up in order to fit in. Well, brothers and sisters, no matter what you have, no matter what tax bracket you are in, we're all made in the image of God. And your net worth does not determine your value as a person or the value of others. So we need to be careful of, of measuring ourselves and, 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 and others according to this financial class system that our world works on. Principle four, money cannot give you ultimate security. While, as we just saw, it can be wise to plan and save and invest, the one thing the Bible is very clear about is that there is no ultimate, there's no such thing ultimately as financial security doesn't exist proverbs 18:11 says a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination in ancient times a city was a place of security there was a, a high wall that provided safety and proverbs says that money possessions of a rich man are that for him in his mind he thinks it's secure. But like the wealthy man who built bigger and bigger barns in Jesus' story, which we read earlier, thinking he'd store up more for the future, it can be gone in a minute, and we can be gone equally as fast. Trusting in money for your security is like putting your faith in that which, as Jesus said, rusts <laughs> and, and goes away. It does not last, and it will not satisfy Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, When the wicked die, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. It's the modern maxim, you can't take it with you. Money cannot give you ultimate security. Only God is a provider of that. Which leads to the last principle I want to look at, and that is to be generous. You cannot outgive God. Brothers and sisters, you cannot give more than God can provide. The Lord loves those who are generous, especially generous to those in need. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. What a great promise that is. Being generous to those is like lending to God. Now, God is not going to default on his debts. <laughs> and he has abundant 
provision to meet those. He will reward generosity. Jesus said as much when he said, whatever you do for the least of these, the sick, the poor, the the imprisoned, you do as unto me. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 puts it very succinctly. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. You cannot outgive God. And the wisest use of your money, of your possessions, your wealth is to use it to honor and worship the Lord and to serve the needs of others. That's why the first item in every budget should be the tithe. You knew that was going to come up in this sermon, didn't you? The first item in any budget should be the tithe. The first fruits of the harvest were designated for the Lord in the old covenant and under under the law. And and God established this principle of the first tenth being brought in to him for the provision of those who served in the temple. for For the meeting the needs of those who were poor in the community. As well as for celebrating and rejoicing and feasting in the goodness of God's provision. And that principle has not changed except... As Paul notes in 2 Corinthians, in light of the the abundant grace of God and the abounding gift of Jesus who made himself poor in order that we might become rich, we should be all the more eager and generous in our giving. Doing it not under compulsion, not because there's some law that tells us we need to do that, but with a joyful heart. And brothers and sisters, if you are not tithing to the Lord, and 10% is a starting point, not a goal, then you are missing out on blessings that God has for you that you don't know of. I know there's all kind of things tied with that. How am I going to do it? But, but, but God is clear. Put me to the test <laughs> and see if I will not provide for you. Being generous with what you have will generally lead to greater prosperity and happiness. And that's what I've called the paradox of wealth. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One man gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds that he, what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and he who waters will himself be watered. Jesus put it this way, Give and it will be given to you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but so- store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Paul says, Whoever sows generously will reap generously this is the the paradox of wealth in God's economy the more generous you are with what you have the more richly blessed you will be not necessarily one-to-one correlation with with more money that's the prosperity gospel but God's provision his blessings will overflow to you and as Tim Keller says the only way to increase in real true wealth is to give it away is to give it away Now, again, that doesn't mean we neglect other principles of wisdom like earning or planning or saving. But it does mean that that the underlying motivation for pursuing, for gaining and using money is, again, to serve the Lord and to bless others. And it means that the more we use our money for those purposes, the greater provision we will see from the Lord. Now, it doesn't, again, mean that it's just a wealthier, we grow wealthier financially. But it does mean that our motivation is one out of serving and loving God and serving and loving others.
Over and over in the Bible, the promise of God that he will provide our every need as we share in the provision of meeting the needs of others is very evident. And that's why Jesus can say, don't be anxious about what you'll eat and what you'll drink and what you'll wear. I know those things. I'll take care of them. God knows those things, and as we seek first his kingdom, as we live for him, as we love like him, as we lead others to him, and that includes using our wealth, he will add all those things to you. Now, how we do that is a matter of wisdom. For some, that may be giving away more to help Christian ministries or charities. It may mean investing more money and building a business that will provide jobs and goods and services for those who need it. For some who don't have a lot of money, it may mean using your time and, or, or helping someone with your talents or skills. But the principle is still critical to understand and the paradox one we need to grasp. Generosity and giving, first to the Lord and then to others in need, is the best and wisest investment that any of us can make and one that will yield the greatest return in the long run. Ungenerous people are typically not happy. <laughs> Generous people are typically happy people. So how can we truly trust in God rather than in what we have and live out the paradox of wealth? Well, that's the final point, the price and the promise of true wealth. We have to see the price that was paid to secure the promise of wealth for us. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 of God's grace to us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who had everything, gave up everything and emptied himself. Coming down from heaven as a man, living with nothing but a, a cloak on his back. And he took the, the punishment and the pain, the wage for our sin in his death on the cross. He took on the ultimate act of generosity for us. He gave himself and he paid the greatest price a man could pay. And giving up everything in order that we might gain everything. That we might have salvation. That we might be co-heirs of God's kingdom with him. His resurrection his death and resurrection testify to the abundance of life that is found in him alone. And we could take verses, the, the verses we read from chapter 8 where wisdom is speaking and we could say it of Jesus who is our wisdom. Riches and honor are with Jesus. With him are enduring wealth, treasures that last, and righteousness. His fruit, fruit of the Spirit is better than gold. His yield is greater than silver. It is through him and the love for him that we are granted an inheritance, that we are the treasure of our hearts are filled to overflowing. And unless you're able to see in the cross of Jesus Christ the ultimate act of generosity, the ultimate price paid for you and for your salvation, the ultimate place of God himself becoming poor in order to make you and me rich beyond our wildest dreams. Unless the cross of Jesus Christ is where we find our security, our hope, our safety, our significance, then we will never be free from the destructive power and of wealth and money. And if anything but Jesus is your ultimate treasure, then you will not ultimately know the riches 
and the blessings that come in stewarding his resources for his glory. So my guess is most of us, if we were to truly look deep in our hearts, deep in our bank accounts, we would have to admit, probably every one of us, that in some ways money is a problem. In some ways, not that we don't have enough, in reality most of us do, but in some ways we place far too much of our security and significance in what we have and thus we are enslaved to its power. We need wisdom's perspective on wealth that reminds us that God is more concerned with our hearts than our wallets. And we need wisdom's principles on wealth to live out serving God and serving others through generous use of that which he has given us and trust in him. And perhaps a good place to end is with the prayer in Proverbs 30. A prayer echoed by Jesus when he taught us as his disciples to pray. It's a prayer of contentment in what we have and protection against the dangers of temptation and temptations of money and wealth. Proverbs 30 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Having more than we need runs the risk of our thinking, we don't need God. <laughs> we got this. And having less than we need runs the risk of our feeling like we need to be God. Like he's not providing for us and so I've got to go out there and do it myself. But learning contentment in both abundance and in need and being content with what we have and his provision each day will ultimately enable us to live out God's wisdom on wealth for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, you have much more than even has already been said and a lot has already been said on this topic. And yet, it boils down ultimately to what you remind us of, that you, everything we have is a gift from you. And you call us, you give us the blessing of using it for your honor and for the good of those around us and for the provision of our own needs, but also the care for others. Lord, give us wisdom in the wealth that you have blessed us with. Make us a generous people generous in our worship of you and generous in our care and our love and compassion for those who are poor, who have needs. Father, open our palms, loosen our grip on the wealth of this world that we might know true treasures in heaven. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.